tonight. So if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and also Romans chapter 14, verse 17. But very quickly, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then also Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So we're going to look at joy here tonight in relation to the fruit of the Spirit. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make your word real to every person that's listening, to every person that's watching, that God, the reality of the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, that it would be cultivated to be real in all of our lives, that we would have the real presence of the true joy that comes from your presence, that comes from you and you alone. Nothing in this world can satisfy us. No amount of sin, no amount uh, of, of things that we can seek out in this world, God, can bring us true joy. True joy comes only from you, and from you alone, God. So help us to receive that. Help us to cultivate that. Help us to know what we have in you as children of God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As I mentioned, we've already looked at uh, love and peace. We looked at peace last week. If you recall, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it is a singular term. It is fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. Uh, as opposed to the gifts of the Spirit, which are individually um, distributed, by, distributed by the will of God as He so pleases, when you become a child of God, you are given the Spirit of God. He dwells within you, and with the Spirit comes all of these fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's all is given to you in one big package, and all of these things are yours in Christ Jesus through faith in Him. So it's very important that you understand that He doesn't give you peace, then He gives you joy, then He gives you long-suffering, then He gives you patience. He gives you all those things through the Spirit, you all those things by faith in Christ Jesus, something that we immediately have access to in Christ. So all of us have access to this joy of the Holy Spirit, this fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's especially important, all these fruits of the Spirit is especially important in what we're facing here. There are very many reasons, or many reasons to be depressed, to be discouraged, to be downtrodden, to have a pessimistic view of the future. But because we have joy in the Holy Spirit, we don't have to be dictated by the things going on around us. This word joy, it means cheerfulness, Come delight or gladness. It can also mean a constant delight in God. And that aspect of, of what joy is, joy from God, that's what I want to concentrate on here tonight. A constant delight in God. A few weeks ago, a few Sundays ago, I preached a message on the joy that is your strength from Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Covered a lot of material in regards to the joy of the Lord. It's going to be quite simplistic compared to that message here tonight, but I want to dwell on two aspects of the joy of the Lord in relation to our delight in God. But a few 
characteristics of this joy that we have in the Lord that I'd like to make note to you here tonight. Please note that it is the joy of the Spirit. It is through fellowship with God, through faith in Christ. As I said, the Holy Spirit takes residence in our hearts and He brings that joy. This is the joy of the Holy Spirit. It is a heavenly, supernatural joy that you cannot get from anything in this life. It is not an earthly joy. It is not, not merely that God is allowing you to find the, giving you the ability to find joy in this world. He is giving you a joy that transcends this very earth, cannot be found in this earth. It's a supernatural, heavenly joy. It's the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's not a joy you can find in anything else. It's a spiritual, supernatural joy which flows from heaven through relationship with Christ. It is a heavenly joy derived from spiritual things. Now, all of us can experience joy in regards to earthly things. The unbeliever can experience the emotion, the feeling of joy from things experienced on earth. I think most every person, their spouse, it was a very joyous day on their wedding day. They experienced a real emotion of joy. Or when your first child was born, or your second child, when all your children were born, you had a, a real legitimate feeling of joy over this child being born. This is an earthly kind of joy that is coming to all people that God in His providence has allowed all people to experience. But it's merely earthly. And it is not a heavenly, supernatural joy of the Holy Spirit. And so the unbeliever cannot experience the same joy that a believer has the privilege to experience as a child of God. It's, uh, it's, it's very important to understand that this is a joy that is undetermined by experience and circumstance. It is not determined by what is going on around me. The, the, the ability to walk in joy is not governed by my present experience or circumstances. So no matter the chaos around me, I can still experience joy in the midst of a storm. In the midst of affliction and suffering. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said in regard to joy. Believers are not dependent upon circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. And not from what they enjoy, but from that which was, which was suffered for them by their Lord. The joy you experience as a child of God has everything to do with who you are positionally in relationship to Christ Jesus. It has nothing to do with what you're experiencing, what you're going through, your circumstances, what the flurry of, of, of activity around you. It has everything to do with who you are in Christ and what He's accomplished for you and for your benefit. It recalls, it brings the, the story recollection of Paul and Silas being in the Philippian. They were thrown in jail. It was midnight. And in, in the midst of this very dire situation, unjustly accused, thrown into prison, shackled in a very bad environment, they are singing hymns. They're rejoicing and they're praising God in the midst of this terrible sense because they had the joy of the Lord and fellowship with Him. And so it is oftentimes this joy that sustains us through affliction. You can, you can most appreciate the joy of the Lord in the midst of affliction. That's what, what can, uh, when you can really appreciate it. And something I wrote down here. Just as a life preserver keeps one from sinking, and just as a hot air balloon overcomes the pull of gravity, 
so does the joy of the Lord provides buoyancy to the Christian life. Rather than being dragged down by the cares of life, joy will lift us above it all. Joy experienced in fellowship with God will not allow me to be pulled and dragged into the cares of life. It provides a particular buoyancy in light of what's around me. In light of the gravity and the burden of life circumstances and affliction and suffering, joy will give me a buoyancy in life and will allow me to endure this affliction because I'm not overcome by it. I am trusting in the Lord who is an overcomer. And so I'm an overcomer in Christ. And this joy that I have, along with peace and everything else, it overcomes my current circumstance. That's what I have in Christ Jesus. So this joy is a buoyancy for us in the midst of trying circumstances. I want us to understand very, very clearly. This is something extremely important to understand when it comes to joy. We are citizens of a kingdom of joy. Not only do we experience the joy of the Holy Spirit, but I want you to know the kingdom of God is noted by and is full of joy. Satan is a wonderful marketer. He is he very strategically is able to market his ways, his kingdom, and to pit it against the kingdom of God. And one way in which he is a wonderful marketer and the strategies that he uses is that he makes the kingdom of Satan to look like a great place of fun and enjoyment where and simultaneously to make the kingdom of God a place of gloom and misery. It is the strategy of Satan to deceive individuals to say, my kingdom, my way, your way, is the fun way, it's the glamorous way, it's the satisfying way. It's, it's what will bring satisfaction and true contentment in your life. Satan has that down pat. He makes sin look very glamorous and fun. And he has a way of deceiving people to say that the kingdom of God is full of gloom and misery. And God is only a God of judgment and justice and holiness, and that's all he is, and he wants to destroy all men. That's Satan's strategies, but I want you to know, as a child of God, I'm called into fellowship with him, and in that fellowship I have, glo I have joy, and in his presence there is joy, and his kingdom is one full of joy. It's one full of joy. Listen, the only time we as children of God are instructed to mourn and lament is when we repent over sin. That's the only time I'm called to lament or mourn. As you read in, in James and in 1 Peter. But we do not live in a constant state of lamentation or mourning. Because godly sorrow will always produce joy. In the midst of your sin which God puts his finger on. That you may lament over, you mourn over, you repent over. There may, may be a moment of, of, of godly sorrow over sin that may be in your life. But that godly sorrow should always break forth into joy and fellowship with him. So I want you to know, you are citizens of the kingdom of joy. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for 30 years. His mind, wit, and work earned him the unofficial title of the greatest justice since John Marshall. At one point in his life, Justice Holmes explained his choice of a career by saying, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Listen, God is not boring. 
It is an exciting life to live this life in Christ. To live for Jesus is much more enjoyable to live for Satan, to live for myself, to live for the world, to live for sin. Because living for the world, I'm enslaved to sin. I'm enslaved to the devil. I am enslaved to the lust of my flesh. But in Christ, there's true freedom and there is true joy and fellowship with him. So God, listen, God does not like a doubtful and dejected spirit. He hates a dreary doctrine and gloomy and melancholy spirit. God takes no delight in a melancholy spirit, which some may say is pious. Okay, to have a frown on your face. God loves a cheerful heart. He loves to see one who has their eyes up looking to God and not to the things around them. He loves to see those who are optimistic in the promises of God. He did not send His Son to forgive you of your sins and deliver you from the kingdom of darkness so you can live in sadness. He deliver you from your sins so you can dwell on the negative activity around you and the negative culture and atmosphere around you. He has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness to live in the kingdom of joy. He has delivered you not to live in sadness, but to live with a glad heart. And, and really, here's what Luther says. For this reason, the prophets, apostles, and Christ himself urge command us to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Zechariah 9.9 says. Shall, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. And in Psalms, we are repeatedly told to be joyful in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Paul told the Philippians. Christ says, rejoice, for your names are written in heaven. We are called to be a joyful people. A rejoicing people. One uh, understanding of the, the defining term of joy in the Old Testament in particular, it means gladness, it means cheerfulness, but it also denotes leap joy, dancing for joy. That it, it is actually manifested through your life. It is seen in your life. It is manifested through the way that you live your life. This joy, it has less to do with how exuberant you are in your praise in a two-hour service, and it has more to do with the way that you live your life on a 24-7 basis. Are you a person known to be joyful in the Lord? We rejoice in the Lord. If my eyes are on Jesus, I have every reason to rejoice. If my eyes are on current events, I'm left to nothing but despair and depression. But in Christ, this kingdom of joy, I'm a victor in Christ. I have reason to rejoice because my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. Bruce Larson says this, joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. Grimness is not a Christian virtue. There are no sad saints. That is true, but I've seen some. But there ought not to be sad saints. Joy is inevitable. If we have no joy, we have missed the heart of the good news and our bodies as much as our souls will suffer the consequences. Walter B. Knight says this, Joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence 
and, and death and sickness, and yet there's still joy in their lives. There, there must be an attractiveness in our lives which joy of the Spirit is on full display through us. Quit dwelling on how bad it is in your life. You talk to some, some people, and it's nothing but doom and gloom. And I'm talking about Christians. <clears throat> it's always about how bad it is, how bad it's going to be. And listen, the joy that we have in the Lord, the faith that we put in Him, is not this false understanding of reality. It doesn't deny the reality of maybe sickness, of affliction, of suffering, of it. And faith believes to turn reality and believes God despite what happens. And this joy brings you through those times of affliction and suffering. And so, when we looked at Romans chapter 14, I read that at the very beginning. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But here's what the kingdom of God is made up of, in conclusion. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit... For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. It is a command of the Lord, and it is the will of God, that in relationship to Jesus you walk in righteousness, you walk in peace, and you walk in joy in the Holy Spirit. And those who serve Christ in these things, they are acceptable. They are acceptable to God and approved by men. The joy of the Lord must be manifested in our lives. And I will say this, joy is a, cho is a choice. Joy is a choice. It comes from God. You can only experience it in Christ, in relationship to Him. It's of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. But it is still a joy for you to allow it to be cultivated and manifest in your life. Because you have the choice to either put your eyes on your hardening circumstance, on your affliction, on, on the fact that you're in jail at midnight like Paul and Silas. You have the choice to dwell on that, or in light of that midnight experience, you can praise God, you can rejoice positionally in who you are as a child of God, and allow that joy to carry you through. It's a choice in that sense. So, let us make some personal application in regards to this joy that we can experience. I mentioned earlier, it's, it, can be, it can be defined as a constant delight in God. So, in relation to our fellowship with God, joy always comes through fellowship in the presence of God. Fellowship with God, who is the source of joy. And so number one, <clears throat> if I could direct you to do anything, simply do this. Delight in God. Seek to be del delighted in God. To take joy in fellowship with God. Joy flows from fellowship with God. Just being with Him in His presence. Spending time with Him. Listening to Him. Letting Him speak to you. Let yourself delight in God. People can delight in all kinds of things. That is, find pleasure in all things. But make it your heart's desire just to delight in God Almighty. And joy will come from that fellowship. But I do want you to understand something when it comes to our delighting in God and our fellowshipping with Him. This is extremely important for us to understand. And for some people, it's hard for them to grasp or even accept. Maybe because of their upbringing or background. But I want you to know this. Before we can delight in God and fellowship with Him, you have to understand what even allows you to do that. And what allows you to do that is that as a child of God, first and foremost, God delights in you. And God rejoices over you. Listen to this. Think about this. How could we receive joy from a God who isn't joyous Himself? 
How could we delight in communion with God if He does not reciprocate that delight in communing with us? It's not a one-sided delight. It goes both ways. It's not that He needs our fellowship to be pleased and to feel sufficient in Himself. He's, he's all-sufficient in Himself. But because He loves us, He takes delight in the righteousness of His Son being manifested through our lives. He rejoices that Jesus is Lord over my life, over my life, that I've been delivered from sin. He delights over His Son in my life. He delights over me as His child. I'm not just His servant, I'm His friend, I'm His child. And just in the same way that I delight over my biological children, I delight over seeing them walk in ways and obeying that and just watching them enjoy life. He delights over you. He takes great, he rejoices over your life as a child of God. And this is not a man-centered type of view of relationship with God. Uh, listen, it's like this. It's imagine you and your spouse go out on a date with your, with your wife or with your husband. And it's meant to, this, this date is meant to uh, strengthen and encourage your relationship with one another. You're, you're intentionally spending time together, spending time to fellowship and to grow in your relationship with, relationship with one another. But imagine, you go to the restaurant, you sit down, and imagine if it's just, just one of the spouse, spouse is trying to engage in conversation, the other person is not engaging. Imagine you're trying to say, how are things going? How are things going at the office? You want to try to talk about the kids. You want to try to talk about your relationship. And there's just one, one word answers. Yeah, it's good. Uh-huh. Imagine you're trying to engage with your spouse. You're trying to get close to them. You're just trying, trying to build relationships, spend time with each other. And imagine if it's not reciprocated. There's, there's, not, there's not much delight there. There's not much growth there. There's not much cultivation, is it? So when you come to fellowship with the Lord, it's not one-sided. It's not just you pursuing Him and finding delight in being in fellowship with Him. He rejoices over you as well. And to prove it, let me look at the Word of God. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says this, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. My goodness. That is a lot to digest. That is Almighty God, the Mighty One who saves, who is all eternal, all sufficient. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need fellowship with me. He, he's, he is perfectly sufficient in Himself. He has everything He needs in Himself. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need me. I don't complete God. God, God, God can still move on without me. God's plans and purposes do not depend upon Stephen Morgan. But because he loves us, because he sent his son to save us and to deliver us from sin, and because the lordship of Jesus Christ is in my life, and now I'm a child of God, he delights in the manifestation of the praise of Jesus in my life. He delights that now he can have fellowship with me, rejoices over my position in him. Not because he needs to, but because he wants to, because he loves me. He rejoices over fellowship with me. So when I come into the presence of God, I'm coming to a God who's excited to talk to me, 
to fellowship with me, to dwell with me, to reveal himself to me. He dances over me, he says. He will rejoice over me with singing. He sings a song over me. He quiets my heart with his love. He embraces me. <coughs> he rejoices over me with gladness. This is not a human gloom, emotionless God, if you will. He's just beckoning me to his presence so that I can delight in him and that he can rejoice over me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. His joy over me can be a strength. Furthermore, an another proof that God rejoices over mere men. If you remember in Luke chapter 15, there's three parables that Jesus tells. He tells about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in every single instance, after the man finds the lost sheep, he leaves the 99, goes to the one. He calls everybody to, to rejoice over the, the, them finding the one sheep. And he says, there's more joy in heaven over one soul that's been saved. All of heaven rejoices. Even the angels rejoice. God rejoices over a person being saved. Over now, he now can get full praise and glory from someone being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. He rejoices over that. And furthermore, as his child, you as his child, <clears throat> he quiets you with his love. He sings over you and he rejoices over you with gladness that you're now a part of the fold. The woman who lost the coin, the valuable coin, she sweeps the whole house, she finds her coin, and the Bible says there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And finally, he ends, he ends this series of parables with the lost son, the prodigal son, living. He comes to the end of himself. He comes back to the father in repentance and humility. And the father runs to him, embraces him, Gives him the best robe that he can, which is his own robe. <clears throat> the robe of righteousness, which is Christ. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet. They prepare a fatted calf. And the father rejoices over the lost son. He rejoices over broken fellowship now be making, uh, having been made whole. He rejoices over us. So I just want you to know, <clears throat> when you come to God, you come to a God who is going to reciprocate his delight in you. In the same way that we can be displeasing to God, even as children of God, there are times you are displeasing to God. And he, ch he chastens those whom He loves. And if you are convicted by the Holy Spirit, that means He loves you, you're a child of God, you repent, you ask for forgiveness, you, 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 you do whatever it takes so that the Holy Spirit's not grieved with your life. And in the same way that you can be displeasing to the Lord, listen, you can be pleasing to Him. And ultimately, you are pleasing to Him, not because of your own self-efforts and your own righteousness, but because of His Son, which is Jesus Christ. When He looks at you, He sees His Son. He's pleased with His Son, first and foremost. That is the robe of righteousness placed over you, placed over this Son. He's pleased with His Son, and He rejoices over His Son, first and foremost. And now you are a co-heir with Christ. You're a child of God, and He rejoices over you. You who once were lost, you're now found. So you come to a God who is smiling. You come to God with open arms. You come to a God who, who wants to share himself with you, wants to share his person, his nature, his power. He wants to share his joy with you. This is not a man-centered thing. This is something that is of the word of God. And also in the same way that Paul told various churches, he told the Corinthians, the Philippians, I think he even told the Thessalonians, he says, 
You are our joy and crown. You standing in the presence of God Almighty, you making it to heaven, you progressing in your faith, you becoming mature Christians, you are the source of our joy. And these people were his spiritual children. Paul being the, the, the apostle and missionary for Christ, he says, you are a great source of joy, my children, when I see you progressing in the Lord. And if Paul could say that about other men, don't you know that our Father in heaven is saying, you are my joy. You are one whom I'm pleased with. You are one who I'm pleased with because I'm pleased with my son. And my son has lordship in your life. And now he can be exalted through your life. And so we are invited to a fellowship of joy. That is, come into his presence, fellowship with him, and delight in God. We know that Psalm 1611 says, You show me the path of life in your presence is joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You can come into the presence of God where there is a fullness of joy. An absolute fullness of joy. It's not a measure of joy. Some joy. It's a fullness of joy that comes from heaven above. Let me share the scripture from 1 John chapter 1. The Apostle John. This is the same one of the 12 disciples who wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the Epistles. And the life of John is one of close intimacy with Jesus. When you read the Gospel of John, John, when he's in the narrative of the Gospel, he never mentions himself by name. But the way that he mentions himself, he says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Throughout, throughout the Gospel of John, the way that John refers to himself, he doesn't refer to himself in the first person, he says, and the one whom Jesus loved. Okay, keep that in mind. It's also John who, on the Last Supper, who was leaning on the breast of Jesus? It was John. It was John who had a special love for Jesus. He knew what it was to fellowship with Jesus. He desired to be a disciple, a servant, a friend of Jesus. He loved him with all his life. And in this first epistle, 1 John 1, he begins the epistle this way. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's saying concerning Jesus. Notice how many times light, the word life is used as well. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You want to know when this is written? This epistle is written 60 years after the ascension of Jesus. It's estimated that He wrote this in 90 AD. 60 years after John had physically laid eyes on Jesus, had had physical interaction with Jesus, could talk to him, could see him with his eyes. Sixty years later, the way that John talks about his precious Jesus as if it was yesterday when he had interaction with Jesus, who I've seen, who I've heard from, who I've touched, this precious Jesus, the one who I laid, my, I laid back against his breast as my Lord, the same Jesus who I know loved me. This is the same Jesus that I have fellowship with and I want you. 
I want you to have the same fellowship with the same Jesus that I love so much. It's been 60 years since John had physical interaction, could actually physically see Jesus when he ascended to heaven. And it's just like yesterday. The one whom I followed, who I know, who I've, who I've handled, who I've touched, who I've spoken to, who has spoken to me. I want you to have the same fellowship. And this word fellowship, it's not just social interaction. It's not just social relations. This word fellowship means that you may be our partaker. That you may be our partaker in, in relation to a partaker of what? A partaker of salvation, which is life in Christ. He uses, he uses, I think, the word life three times in this. In relation to, you are a partaker of life. That is salvation in the one whom you can have fellowship with. That is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and he says, we write these things to you. I tell you of this precious Jesus whom I love, who I have fellowship with, who I have partaken of, who have been delivered from my sins because of him. Of this one that I have fellowship with, with the Father and with the Son, I tell you these things so that your joy may be full. So that you can have cheerfulness, you can have gladness, and you can have cause for rejoicing. And so I just encourage you, delight, just simply delight in God. You want to grow in with the joy of the Holy Spirit and communion with God, obedience is no longer a burden or obligation, but it is now a delight. And fellowship in the presence of God and taking delight in Him, it is now my joy. It's now also my delight. I get gladness and rejoicing from obeying His commands and walking in His will for my life. It's a joy to do what He tells me to do. I get joy from that. Because I'm in fellowship with Him and because I love Him, it is my joy and my delight to obey Him and do His will. Psalms 46 and 8 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears uh, you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law was within my heart. It, he, what he was saying was the outward uh, religious activity of sacrificing a bull or a goat and going through the religious motions of the day. It is a devoted heart that you take satisfaction in. It's the sacrifice of my praise, the sacrifice of my life. And he says, but I delight to do your will. I find joy in doing your will. I am happy. I am happy to step up and say, God, whatever you want from me, I will do this. So there's joy on the front end of obedience, if you allow me to say it that way. There's joy where, regardless of the outcome, it is my delight to please you. In the same way, it's my delight just, just to do something to serve my wife, to serve my loved ones. I just delight to do this. It's not drudgery. It's not a chore. I delight to do your will, O oh God, because I love you, and I delight in you I delight in what you ask me to do. I delight in obeying you. Let me, let me read one more scripture. If you recall, when, when Mary was with child, with Jesus, and when her cousin Elizabeth was with child, that is with John the Baptist, uh, uh, Elizabeth was first pregnant with John the Baptist, who was going to be the forerunner. He was prophesied to be the forerunner and the one who would prepare the way for Jesus 
the Messiah. And if you all, Mary, after she had, she had come in contact with the, the angel, said, you're going to become with child, and, and um, he's called to be the savior of the world. Mary took a trip and met with Elizabeth. And the Bible says she went to the hill country and she went to a city of Judah. She entered the house of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the, the, the parents of John the Baptist. And it happened when, when she heard the voice of Mary come into the house, that the baby, that is John the Baptist, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth says, um, she spoke out a loud voice and she said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She says this, For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting surrounded, uh, sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Okay. John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth leapt for joy when Mary, the mother of Jesus, whom was carrying Jesus, when he heard the voice of Mary, John who was called to do the will of the Father, he left for joy while even yet in the womb. Okay? Now, when John came on the scene, let me link this to the life of John now. When John came on the scene and he was baptizing people, he was preparing the way for Jesus. Yes, they're cousins, but he's preparing the way for the Messiah, for God incarnate, for the Son of God. And he says this towards the end of his, his ministry, He's going to be beheaded by Herod, and he's going to be taken out after, after having served his purpose. He did what he was supposed to do. Here's what he says. When Jesus comes on the scene, and people start following Jesus and leaving John, here's what John says. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. That's why he leapt in his mother's womb, because he had been sent, he had been he had been placed in his mother's womb, in Elizabeth's womb, that was dormant for all these decades and years. He leapt for joy in the womb of his mother when he heard Mary, the mother of Jesus, because he was sent for the purpose to prepare the way for the cross. And he says, he who was the bride, who has the bride, is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthy and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Here's what John is saying. I am simply the friend of the bridegroom. I'm the best man. Jesus, he's the groom. Jesus is the center of attention. I'm simply here to prepare the way. Just like the best man may make all the provisions for the wedding, make sure things go smoothly. Prepare the way for the groom so that the wedding goes off without a hitch in, in the context, the historical context of what they're, they're using this for. He's saying the best man, when he hears, the friend of the bridegroom, when he hears the bridegroom speak, he rejoices greatly and he gives way for the bridegroom. He's saying for this purpose, I've come because Jesus come on the scene. I'm going to decrease. He's going to increase. And because of this, my joy is fulfilled. Because Jesus is exalted and I have done the will of God. It is my joy. It is my delight to do the will of the Father. It is my joy to do it. And in obeying him, 
Joy is also a byproduct of obedience. So I think that's just a wonderful observation from the life of John. I close here. My, my, my only two directives to us is this. Number one, get with God. Number two, go for God. Number one, get with God. That is delight in His presence. Just delight in being with Jesus. And it's in that fellowship that there is joy. There's a fullness of joy. Take delight in His presence. Get with God. Be with Him. And this cultivation of joy will occur. And number two, then go for God. Delight. Take joy in doing God's will. In obeying Him. And on the other side of obedience is always joy. Joy is a byproduct of obedience. Jesus... For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The disciples, when they were first beaten in chapter 5, they rejoiced that they were worthy to be, to be counted as disciples and to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. There's a great byproduct, a great, a great production of joy when we obey God because we love him, because we've been with him. I encourage you, be with God, get with God, and then go for God. And in that the combination of those two, there will be joy in your life. There will be the fruit of the Spirit. This is joy that comes from on high. Joy is a choice. And I, I encourage you, make that choice to dwell on Jesus, to know that He rejoices over you, and that yours is joy as a child of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless every person that's listening, every person that is watching God. That you would help them to cultivate this joy. That we have a great privilege and a right to the joy that comes from heaven because your spirit lives within us. Let this fruit be cultivated. Let us choose to put our eyes on you and not on our situation. God, your joy can sustain us. It can carry us. It can uplift us in the midst of a very sinking circumstance and situation, God. Help us to lift our eyes up to you. To look not at the circumstance, not at the, the wind and the waves around us, but to put our eyes upon you, God, and allow your joy to envelop us, to carry us, and make our lives a testimony that people see the attractiveness of your joy, that it's not just gloom and pessimism that follows up us, that there's not a, a storm cloud that is over our head, but there is nothing but sunshine because we are more than victors in you who has loved us. You've forgiven us. You've delivered us from sin. And we're on our way to you. Pray that you would bless your people. Bless the people of Grace River Chapel. I pray that you would keep them healthy. That you would preserve them. That you would keep them physically, spiritually. Pray that you would meet financial needs, God. Help the people of God to be a blessing one to another this time. And us pray, God, that you would keep us and sustain us by your grace, which is always guaranteed to do so. We love you, Jesus. I ask you, God. To be with, with us. Be with our country. Be with our leaders, God. Give them wisdom. And I pray most of all, we would all be humbled through this circumstance. And be all the more conformed to the nature of your Son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.